you all received from Caleb and from Sebastian the outline. And then on the back, you have words from the Heart of God series. This is the conclusion of a series of messages that we've had on the Heart of God. I hope that it won't be the concluding thought that you have on the Heart of God as we share together. At the top of some of your papers, it has this verse, and that is Romans 11.33. We're speaking today about the riches that we have in the heart of God and thinking about all that we've gone through as far as the heart of God is concerned. It says in Romans 11.33, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments, How inscrutable are His ways. The richness that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ and the wonder of Him and of God the Father sharing these things with us from the Scripture is something that we want to consider today together. So I'll say good morning to you. And starting in late October of 2023, we've had a series of Bible Hour messages on the heart of God. Eight men have given these messages with the thought that the assembly as a group and as individuals would be gaining for ourselves the opportunity to increase the closeness and the intimacy of relationship we have with God. The various ministers on this topic have been encouraging us to consider what's in God's heart toward us, to consider the riches today that we have in the heart of God. We thank the Lord for this verse that we have, the depth of the riches and wisdom of God. Now, as we go through the lesson today, we won't be going following the scripture, a section of scripture, but rather we'll be looking at several things in review of what's taken place in this series on the heart of God. So please don't be frustrated that I'm not taking a Bible text and analyzing it here today. Rather, we're going to take this text, the riches and the wisdom of the knowledge of God, and extend that to the other areas that we've been thinking about here in this series. Let's have a word of prayer before we continue on. Father, we thank you for the just the blessing of God's word to be able to study it and think about it and consider it. And we praise your name that you've revealed so much about your heart to us in the word of God. We ask your blessing upon this time of study. We ask your blessing upon the boys and girls and the young people that are in their Sunday school classes. Just help them and their teachers to enjoy themselves and to enjoy the Word of God. Thank you for those that have brought the food for our fellowship lunch today. We pray for just a real good time of being together and enjoying one another's company. Thank you for the visitors that are here today. Ask your blessing upon them, upon their families. And commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Studying the heart of God, uh, we want to go into a reason for the riches in the heart of God, first of all, in the message. There's a presumptiveness that's been referred to in several of the messages. Who are we, God's creatures, to be looking into our Creator's heart? How is it that we can look into God's affections, God's deepest desires and longings, His intimate thoughts, his motivations and his responses. We as creatures don't have the right to do that, but God has revealed his heart to us to consider what's in his heart, for us to consider and meditate upon, to rejoice in worship for such a holy, loving, gracious, merciful, compassionate, interested and involved God who delights in his children. He's seeking the very best for us through his encouragement, support, directions, warnings, and His continual forgiveness of His children. This intimate relationship with God is only possible by being brought into the family of God through receiving Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, as our Savior and Lord. It says in the Scripture in John chapter 1, As many as received Jesus Christ, to them gave He the power, the right to be called the sons, the children of God. 
Our sin has separated us from God. His holiness cannot permit sin in His presence. His holiness requires a judgment of our sin. The consequence of our sin is eternal separation from the presence of God. It says in the book of Romans, the wages of sin is death. The heart of God, however, the heart of God, however, could not tolerate, could not stand, could not allow we human beings to be separated from Him in an eternal death. The heart of God longs for relationship with His human creation created in the image of God. God's heart had to prepare a way for us to be saved from our sin. The plan was from before the foundation of the world, stretching back to some point in eternity that only God knows about, that God would have to send His Son here to this earth in the form and likeness of man to live a humble, obedient, sinless, and righteous life. The plan for this sinless son was for him to die. Not for his sin. He didn't do any sin. There was no guile found in his mouth, it says in the book of Isaiah. But Jesus Christ died for our sin. He became our substitute. All our sin was placed on Jesus Christ when he suffered on the cross. The man Christ Jesus suffered the judgment from God for our sin. While he was there, he took everything that man and Satan could throw at him, and he died. Instead of you and me dying for our sin, Jesus took our place and died for our sin. Proving himself to be greater than sin, greater than death, greater than Satan, and to affirm the acceptance of God of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our sin, Jesus rose from the dead. He is alive now. He's in heaven. He is ministering to us and for us. He is the good shepherd who has fulfilled the great prophecy of John chapter 10. Now, this is a long quote from John chapter 10. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. For this reason, my father loves me because I lay my life down that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Now, dear friend, the offer of relationship is extended to all in the world. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God wants us in His family. The Lord Jesus longs to be your friend. He longs to be your shepherd, with we being the sheep of His pasture. He longs for you to have a loving, faithful, gracious, merciful Lord, with us gladly bowing our knees to His authority and care. He longs to be our great High Priest, who has all the feelings of our temptations and infirmities, understanding our experiences and our hurts. All of these relationships and much, much more is in the heart of God. And He is longing for you to enter into this relationship by receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's not my appeal that will affect you. It's the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, who seeks to convince you of your situation today as a lost sinner in need of a substitute Savior. The Holy Spirit is seeking to speak to you, to your heart, to your mind, and to your eternal soul to draw you into a loving relationship with God the Father by receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior. This message and this appeal is nothing new to you that attend Northern Hills week by week. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is preached. The invitation to believe on Jesus Christ and you will be saved is extended to you. The Holy Spirit is seeking to speak to you now to accept this offer of salvation. We pray that you'll do so today. Quite frankly, we have prayed for you that you would receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Here is an assembly at our prayer meeting.
God knows why He's brought you to this room today. A part of it is to hear this message of salvation. To receive Jesus Christ for your eternal life. If this information just shared with you about the Gospel is unclear, I've been confusing, it's been too fast, please ask me or others here in the assembly to clarify, to explain, to answer any questions you might have. We'll be very happy to spend time with you and do our best to make the Gospel clear. But I encourage you, be sensitive to God speaking to you today about your eternity here this morning. Now, if you look at the outline that I have, that's a reason for the riches in God, in God's heart. And then we have a review of the riches in God's heart. And on the other side, you'll find a set of words. And the words are at various angles. And what we'll be doing is we'll be reviewing the riches that we've learned about. I have my principal here today uh, from many years ago. Dave, I was going to say my old principal, but that's true of both you and me being old. I used to use this technique as either an introduction or a conclusion to some of my lessons. And for an introduction, you'd pass this out to the kids, and on the other side there'd be a series of sentences and they'd have blanks in them and to get the blanks filled in you'd have to flip this over and the kids would be active in this and they'd be so that was to get them interested in what the topic would be for a concluding lesson you'd pass this out and you'd tell them not to look at the side with the words and you'd say to them now from what you've learned I want you to fill this in and do the best that you can and then you can turn it over and look at it. Now, that was Mr. Mikeley walking around in the class to see how well he'd done at teaching the lesson. The kids were struggling to fill in the sentences. I know I hadn't done too well. So that's what we're going to do this morning. You can keep track of this. And as I mentioned through the review, look for the words that come up in the review about what we've learned about the heart of God during these past several weeks. We've covered many things that are in the heart of God. Some of them are very directly stated as far as the heart of God. The first thing that we found out that was in God's heart is grief. Early in the history of the human race, man had become so exceedingly sinful that the thoughts of man's imagination were only evil continually, it says in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. And this grieved God's heart. Grief comes from the pain and disappointment of the loss of someone deeply loved. All of us here in the assembly know what grief is. Some of us more personally and more poignantly just recently. And we have grieved with those people who have suffered such great loss. That is the grief that God felt when he saw men and women choosing to reject the pathway of life that he offered, turning from God and having great wickedness to the point where in all of the civilized world, in all of the world's population, there was one man who walked with God. His name was Noah. After 120 years of preaching and the preparation of an ark, after all of that evangelistic effort to get the gospel, the good news of the ark out to people, we had eight people that responded to that. Noah, his wife, his three sons and their three wives. Salvation was available for all. But only those took it. The first thing that we find in God's heart is grief. Grief over the sin of mankind. In First Chronicles 17.19, we find out about communication being in God's heart. It says there in First Chronicles 17.19, O Lord, according to Your heart, You have done all this greatness in making all these things known to us. God communicates who He is through His creation, first of all. Thirty-three years ago, the Hubble telescope was launched into space, and just two years ago, the Webb telescope. And together, these two telescopes have allowed us to have a peep through a keyhole into the cosmos. Astronomers, physicists, and observers are astounded at the Creator's statements, at the Creator's communication of the magnitude and glory of what's being seen in just a small part of the universe. 
In 2003, the longest word in creation was finally written when the human genome code of DNA was completed. This miraculous molecule is in every single cell and it communicates the language of God. Francis Collins, the Christian co-discoverer of the DNA molecule, said this is what it is, the language of God. What's found there in the human genome is a code. It requires, it requires intelligence for that code to be put together. And there it is in every single cell, this long, unbelievably complex word. And it's communicating, as Francis Collins says, the language of God. The more we probe into outer space, into the galaxies, or into the inner space of the cellular or atomic world, the more scientists and folks like me and you are amazed at the wonder of design as God communicates to us through His creation. God communicates through His Word as well. His spoken Word in the early millennia of human existence, apparently God spoke audibly and people responded and heard. And then, starting about 3,500 years ago, there was the steady, regular, written recording of God's Word from Genesis in the Old Testament. Really, we should say Job, the older of the books, in the Old Testament to Revelation in the New Testament. God has communicated specifically, particularly, and lovingly of His plan for all mankind. And God's continual desire, desire to be in relationship with us personally, individually, and corporately. God communicates through His creation. It's in His heart. He communicates through His written Word. It's in His heart. And then finally, He communicates through His Son. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, this is what it says. Long ago, and in many times and in many ways, God spoke to the Jewish fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He's spoken to us in His Son, His Son, Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus could boldly say to His disciples, He that has seen Me has seen the Father. I'm the exact representation of the Father. I'm communicating to you the Father's will, the Father's desire. Seven times in the Gospel of John, Jesus calls Himself, I Am, identifying Himself with the great name of God given in the Old Testament, Jehovah, Yahweh, or as we were taught by Steve Hawthorne a few weeks ago, YHWH. If we want to explore God's heart, we gaze upon Jesus Christ being crucified for you and me, laying down His life so we can be saved from our sin, rising from the dead and living for us now so we might enjoy Him in His resurrected power and glory. Once again, in First Chronicles 17.19, it says, According to your own heart, you have made known to us all these great things. So we can say with King David, who wrote that portion of Chronicles, O Lord, according to your heart, you've done all this greatness in making known to us today how much you love us, care for us, and communicating with us from your heart. God has his heart on his temple. In 1 Kings 9, God says his eyes and his heart are on his temple. In the Gospel of John, the Lord Jesus referred to himself as this temple. He said, destroy this temple in three days and I'll raise it up again. Now those words were twisted at the trial of the Lord Jesus Christ where some people said he was talking about the temple that Herod was building. 46 years in the building and so he's going to tear it down and build it up in three days. Well, John's very careful in his Gospel to say a few verses later after the Lord made that comment, He was speaking of the temple of His body. Destroy this temple, My body. In three days, I'll raise it up again. The temple that God has His heart upon is where God dwells here on earth. Whether it's in the tabernacle or temple in the Old Testament or in the Lord Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us in the New Testament or today, each of us as individual believers, it says in 1 Corinthians 
it states this, do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? Now, that's individually together is a corporate group and the invisible, the invisible church all around the world. <clears throat> it says in Ephesians two twenty and 21, the whole structure being put together grows into a temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being put together as a dwelling place for God by the spirit. Today, God's heart is on his temple. We are the temple of God. God's heart is on you and me. God's heart has been on his suffering on the cross. In the suffering psalm, Psalm 22, in this prophetic psalm written a thousand years before the crucifixion, the sufferings are described in great detail in that psalm. And in the midst of this suffering, this is the phrase we find. My heart is like wax. It's melted within me. Always, always, always in the heart of God was the knowledge that with the creation of mankind and giving us free will, we had the freedom to choose to love or hate God, to choose to accept or reject God, to choose to obey or rebel against God. With that free will would come the need for one to become a substitute for mankind's sin, for my sin, for your sin. And God said from his heart, you're worth it. You're worth the death of my son. Always having the suffering of the cross in his heart because he loves you and me so very much. God commended. God revealed, God showed, God communicated. It says in Romans 5.8, God commended His love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The crucifixion has always been in the heart of God. God's heart has been on shepherding His people. In Jeremiah 3.16 it says, God said to Israel, I will give you shepherds according to my heart. God has always wanted to care for his people. Psalm 23 in this well-known psalm says, The Lord is my shepherd. The image of a shepherd caring for, leading, helping with the grazing and watering and protecting his flock has been thematic in Scripture. In Isaiah 40 verse 11 it says, he will tend his flock like a shepherd and gather his lambs in his arm and carry the young lambs in his bosom, gently leading those that are with young. In John ten sixteen, the Lord Jesus takes this image and applies it to himself. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one fold and one shepherd. For Dave and me, this is a personal note. We had a secretary at our school. Her name was Mary McKay. My first image of Mary McKay was of a disheveled woman walking down the hallway with a playground ball in her hand because she was a monitor of the kids on playground duty. And my principal... Dave Stauffer saw in this dear woman the potential to become an outstanding secretary for our school. And through his encouragement and the encouragement of others, Mary, became, Mary McKay became a most wonderful secretary, beloved, cared for, she caring for us. Mary had a long, difficult, at times hideous bout with cancer, lasting years. And she and her husband Charlie, seeking to cope with the disease, especially the last 
four months or so was such an exercise in loving care and patience. I would go to see Mary and we'd read the Psalms together and often it was Psalm 23. And I would read, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. And at times I'd try to share with Mary some of the different thoughts that were there in the psalm. I was making sure she understood that it started in the present. The Lord is my shepherd. And that it ends in eternity. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that there was the need for Mary to accept Jesus Christ as her shepherd. It would have been, I guess, seven or eight weeks before Mary's death. And I was there and we were reading. I said, Mary, let's read Psalm 23. (laughs) And I started, the Lord is my shepherd. And she stopped me. She went just like this. Phil, the Lord is my shepherd. And I preach the message to you today that God longs to be your shepherd. But what is needed, dear one, is for you to declare just like Mary McKay did. Phil, The Lord is my shepherd. Today, God's heart is on the shepherding, caring, feeding and protecting of his people. Our great shepherd, Jesus Christ, has us on his heart today. In God's heart, there is the day of vengeance and the year of redemption. Isaiah 63, 4 says, For the day of vengeance is in my heart and the year of redemption to come. God is judge. God is the great eternal magistrate dealing justly and righteously with each person and the choice they have made to accept or reject God and his son for their salvation has always been on God's heart. In Isaiah 28, 21, judgment by God is called God's strange work. The judgment by God is something he must do in the perfection of his holiness, in the perfection of his integrity. There's not a one of us here today that would accept an earthly judge or magistrate that would take a murderer or an embezzler or a liar or a cheat or a rapist or a thief or an abuser or a molester, or you fill in the crime. None of us would allow a human judge to let any of these criminals go without full, complete, proper, thorough judgment. The price for such crimes must be paid for. We expect this of our human judges. Shall we expect anything less from the holy, righteous judge, God himself? Do we want God to wink at us and say you're dismissed from court for no reason? There can be no punishment for your sin. Especially when the magistrate offers salvation to the individual accused of the crimes. God the judge has offered salvation. Let me give an illustration. The judge looks down pitifully at the young man before the bench. The teenager is almost trembling. His attorney is standing by him, but it's of no use. The charges are obvious. Driving at high speed. 85 miles an hour in a 45 mile per hour zone. Changing lanes illegally. Driving recklessly. The case is open and shut. The teenager is guilty. The judge hammers the gavel and pronounces guilty as charged. The total fine, young man, is $947.
you have any means to pay this? No. The judge then stands up, walks down the three steps from the bench. Standing by the young man, he tapes off his black robe and lays it on the table. And from his coat pocket, he pulls out a checkbook. And he writes out a check for $947. And he turns it into the clerk of court. You see, the judge is this boy's father. Dear ones, God loves you so much that even in His role as judge, He's paid the fine. He's taken everything that's necessary in order for you to be free from any of the crimes that you've committed. Any of the sins that we've committed. And it's not paying a check. It's rather writing in the blood of His Son, paid in full. And now He offers to you today this opportunity for salvation. Now God has a day of judgment in His heart, but you notice it says He has a year of redemption, an unending year of redemption, an eternity of redemption that He offers to you. This area of judgment, we often magnify it in our thoughts. That's not what we've learned about the heart of God. God is loving. He's kind. He's patient. He desires to have relationship with us. He seeks to draw us into His family. And He wants you to be there today. And in God's heart, greater than His judgment is His heart of redemption. Of wanting you to be His child. Of buying you with His own precious blood. Sean Fullen preached the message on the heart of God as revealed in the story of Hosea and Gomer from the Old Testament. Hosea, God's prophet, is directed to take a prostitute as his wife. God uses this marriage of Hosea and Gomer as a picture of the relationship between himself and the northern nation of Israel. Israel has been unfaithful for centuries. You go through the behavior of Israel in the books of Kings and Chronicles, and you find king after king after king just doing the worst of all the crimes and the people following along willingly. And for centuries, God has sent prophets to these people. The names of Elijah and Elisha ring out through our minds and the other Old Testament prophets that we have calling and longing for the people of Israel to return to God. But they fail to repent. She has refused and continuously been unfaithful and disobedient to God. So, Sean told us that Hosea was told to take a prostitute named Gomer as his wife. And Sean told us that the likelihood of Gomer being unfaithful to Hosea was very great. She was used to sexual promiscuity. So he marries this harlot. They have three children, and by the time you get to the third child, it's very obvious what Gomer's been doing. That third child is named Loami, which means not my people. And it is Hosea declaring, This is not my child. I'm not the father. And here is this living example of a prophet being scorned by a wife that he's taken from prostitution and now she being unfaithful to this loving husband. The story goes on, we were told by Sean of Gomer living with another man, perhaps her pimp, living in adultery. Hosea then goes to his adulterous wife and buys her with silver and with several bushels of barley. And this is what he declares to her. You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. And so I also will be to you. 
I'll be faithful to you, Gomer. I'll lovingly care for you. I long for you. I desire you, my dear, unfaithful wife. Sean told us that this is the heart of God. No matter how unfaithful we might be, God will pursue us, pay the redemption price for us, and longs for reconciliation and relationship. This heart-rending story of Hosea tells us of the length to which God will go in pursuing us, even to the cross, to die for us. This is the heart of God. Joe Perriel told us, God wants us to have a heart-to-heart relationship with Him. To illustrate this desire, Joe shared with us the story of the Good Samaritan. A Jewish man is set upon by thieves and he's left dying from his wounds administered by the thieves. Two religious people, a priest and a Levite, a Levite is someone who helped in the temple, they see this dying man by the side of the road and they don't stop to help. In fact, the Scripture is quite clear. They move to the other side of the road to avoid him completely. A third man, a despised Samaritan, stops, bandages up the dying man's wounds, pours ointment into the wounds, and places this man on the Samaritan's own donkey. He takes the wounded man to an inn and saw that he was properly cared for. He pays for the room and then he tells the innkeeper, if there's any more expense, I'll pay it on my return. And then Joe told us this, as bluntly and plainly as could be. Jesus Christ is that Samaritan. Despised and rejected by Jewish people, but going out of his way to attend to the wounded. Whatever your wounds might be today, Whatever my wounds might be, I have a good Samaritan who sought me out and has bound up my wounds and stood by me in the healing process. He did this all at his own expense, caring for us through our recovery. And it's a continual recovery, dear ones. I'm 75. God continues to attend to the recovery from the wounds of my sins as He does to you. This is what's on the heart of God. Here's the Lord Jesus speaking from Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because God has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. God has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is the heart of God. Ryan shared with us about the heart of God being revealed through the attributes of God. As we think about these attributes, we learn about the heart of God. Here are the attributes Ryan had us consider. God's infinitude. The heart of God, boundless in love and care for us. God's immensity, the heart that is presiding, sustaining, and caring boundlessly. God's goodness, a heart that desires nothing but good things for us. God's justice, immediately our mind will slip to God's imposing His judgment. Rather, this is what justice means. A heart that has a plan to bring us from our sinful condition to a place of justification where we're declared righteous through Jesus Christ and His death on our behalf. God's mercy, a heart that is kind and sympathetic, not giving us what we deserve. God's grace, a heart that brings us from being enemies of God to being a child in His family, giving us what we don't deserve. God's omnipresence, a heart that is everywhere at every time, near and close to you in the moment. And then God's imminence. Do you find it on the sheet there? I-M-M-A-N-E-N-C-E. Imminence. This is a word I had to look up. It's not imminence. 
That means something's about to happen. Something's imminent. It's not eminence. That means someone who's honored. The eminent professor came and spoke to the group. No, this is imminent. I-M-M-A-N-E-N-T. And this is what the word means. Operating on the inside. Existing on the inside. This is where God is, dear believer. Christ in you. The hope of glory, it says in the book of Colossians. And finally, God's holiness. All of these are attributes of God. God's distinctness. Not from being apart from us, but to be involved with us and to make us like Himself. It says several times in the Scripture, Be holy, for I am holy. All of these attributes leads us into knowing and understand what is in the heart of God. Please notice, not one of these attributes is negative or judgmental. Judgment by God's character is forced to be in His heart, but the magnitude of God's heart is this loving, compassionate, caring, all-thoughtful, all-involved God. That's what's in the heart of God. Joe Boyette shared about the compassion in the heart of God. We were taught that compassion is more than feelings and thoughts of sympathy for those in a difficult or tragic situation. Compassion connects those feelings of sympathy and empathy with action for those in the difficult or tragic situation. Joe used the story of the Gentile woman and her demon-oppressed daughter appealing to the Lord for His help as an illustration of someone in a difficult or tragic situation. The Lord draws out from this woman her great faith and her daughter is instantly healed. Then along the Sea of Galilee a few days later, the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others were brought to the Lord Jesus. And here's the statement, and He healed them all. The Lord then called His disciples to Him following this time of healing and said, I have compassion for the crowd. He then fed them. Over 4,000 people and His disciples helping Him. The heart of God is compassion. And He invites us to join with Him in compassionate action like His home. This is the heart of God. Jack Bainline shared with us about the heart of God revealed through God's works. His work in creation, providing a garment of salvation in the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. He told us about making a way through salvation in the flood, through the ark. He told us about the heart of God and the great cross work of Jesus Christ. He told us about God's work in the Christian's life. And... Jack took the time to tell us about being God's masterpiece, his poem. The heart of God through all of these works is for rescue and restoration of man back into a full, yes, even fuller relationship with God. This is the heart of God. Abe Phillips shared with us the heart of God in the birth, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. The miracle of God becoming man from before the foundation of the world, the the heart of God had the plan for His Son to come to this earth. God placed His plans in the record books of the Old Testament Scripture with over 300 prophecies, promises about the Messiah, the promised one, to redeem mankind. God made good on all those promises by Jesus' birth in Bethlehem. God became man. Jesus was born. He would seek and save those that are lost. God will complete His plans for us, Abe told us. All will be completed by the Lord Jesus Christ. God's plans, God's promises, the fulfillment and completion are all in the heart of God. And our last speaker in this series was Steve Hawthorne, our missionary our missionary to Bolivia for 32 years. 
Now, Steve would not tell you this. Steve forsook a lucrative medical practice in Wheaton, Illinois. There were several doctors in this group. They were the exclusive doctors for DuPage County, one of the wealthiest counties in the United States. And Steve Hawthorne was invited to be a part of that group. There was something greater that Steve had in mind, and that was the gospel of Jesus Christ going to a remote village in the highlands of Bolivia where Spanish wasn't spoken. You had to speak Quechua, the ancient language of the Incas. And that's where Steve and his wife went and served there for 20 years and then came to Potosi, the large mining town there in Bolivia. Steve communicated with us that the heart of God has a covenant, a promise, a commitment. God says that He is the I Am. I Am who is present with you always. My heart toward you is the I Am, a heart of, and here's what He quoted from Exodus 34, a heart of compassion, patience, grace, love, faithfulness, forgiveness, and justice. This set of seven qualities of the heart in which we rejoice and praise the Lord. With this heart, Steve told us, God commits Himself to us with these covenant words. I am your God. You shall be my people. I will be with you always. That agreement, that commitment, that covenant is in the heart of God. Now turn your splash sheet over to the outline. And you'll see we're halfway through. Do I feel? No. We have fellowship dinner waiting for us. We just can't stand this anymore. You're not going to lengthen this any longer, are you? No, 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 dear ones. This is real quick. This is our response to all that we've learned about what's in the heart of God. The first thing is to rejoice and revel. Rejoice in the fact that you have a heart of God directed toward you in these ways, in these so many ways that we've had discussed with us over these past few months. You, you cheer. You cannot help yourself but cry out in joy and in thanksgiving for all that God is toward you in, your, in His heart. The next one is to ruminate and research in the riches. Ruminate, that's what a cow does. They have a cud, they chew and they chew and they chew on it. They ruminate on it. All right. See, these brothers that have brought these messages to us, they give us the chance to think about the grace of God, the mercy of God. I'm telling you, from Steve's message on the covenant of God, I have thought about that. I am your God. You are my people. I shall be with you always. Now, there are some simple statements that provide an awful lot of opportunity for us to think, ruminate, consider just that small aspect of the heart of God. And it also says research. I encourage us, encourage us to take our Bibles and to look into these various stories that we've been taught and other things that we'll learn about from the Scripture about what the heart of God has for us. And that's this last one. Recognize the riches and reveal new riches. Dear ones, the Word of God is open to us. God wants us to study His Word, to be in it, to read it, and to say to ourselves, that's speaking to me today. Let the stories, let the truths, let the doctrines of the Word of God penetrate our hearts and minds so that we recognize those riches and we learn new ones, reveal new riches. How wonderful it is for God to allow us to start to go along and learn more about what's in the heart of God. Joe Periel, as he was preparing this series, he said, you know, I'm considering about the heart of God. And he said, 
I've now started to read the Scripture. As I read it, I'm always asking myself, what's in the heart of God in this passage? Am I saying this right, Joe? As I read, I'm looking, what's the heart of God here? What's, what's the heart of God saying to me? What's God's heart? Plumb the depths of the ocean of God's heart. Explore the wealth of the endless mine of God's heart. Probe the vast eternal universe of God's heart. No wonder He gives us eternal life for these explorations. We'll never get the job finished. But I encourage us all, dear ones, start on your exploration, your mining, and your diving into the depths right now. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank You for the privilege of You revealing Your heart to us. Our minds go to a whole variety of stories where You're tenderly caring, tenderly loving, tenderly giving. It's in Your heart, dear God. Thank You for the opportunity to be able to share on this topic and for several in the assembly to share over these past many weeks. Bless us as we continue to explore the heart of God. Father, thanks for the food that's been prepared. Just ask your blessing upon our time of food and fellowship together and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.